Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching with TBA rabbinic intern Rachel Cohn. What we're going to learn a bit about now is the the Ner Tamid, the eternal light that is described at the beginning of Parshat Titzaveh in the in the part that Kendra Chorney chanted for us. And I mean, I think it's no it's no secret that it's it's a a piece of the tradition that has been carried until you know until today when in any in-person davening space, there's a light that's always kept on in some way through whatever technology we have available now. Um, so I think it, it's just, it's like a, um, a piece of, of a prayer space that, that I find very grounding and interesting and important. And so I thought it was, it was worth delving into a couple teachings about, about the significance biblically and to see what some of the rabbinic commentaries had to say about this. So before we look at what the Torah has to say about, about the original Ne'er Tamid, I'm curious if people just want to share examples of something in your life that requires constant maintenance. Alan? Relationships with my wife, among others. <laughs> Amen to that. I've experienced that as well. <laughs> my husband and others. Yes. Uh, Gary? I would say, yes, the relationship with a spouse, but also with your children takes, mm-hmm. takes work. Right, right. Lovely. Any other examples people want to throw out there? Proper nourishment of your body. Oh, amazing. Yes, right. Our bodily vessels need constant maintenance and shmirat haguf of caring for, for our bodies. Um, As does our spirit, our spiritual focus, not just physical. Very nice. Right. They call it spiritual practice because it's a thing that needs ongoing kind of attention. Um, very nice. Love the range of examples here. Gary, Yeah. My garden took a lot. It takes a lot of work, and it's not been not been happy lately. Very nice. <laughs> and in you know, in California, a garden is something that you can think of as more of a. I mean, the grow. I mean, the growing season kind of still changes, of course, like over the course of the year. But you know, I'm I'm in Chicago right now, where I can say that even if somebody <laughs> is tending to their garden all year, it does not look the same right now. Um, so it's just interesting to think about things like that that are there's a there even though it's a, an ongoing constant, you know, project, there can still be sort of ebbs and flows in, in the maintenance of it. Very interesting. Um, yeah. Joanna. I mean, to build on what was just said, I would add like Shmirata Adama in general, like we're, we're learning more about how much we need to take care of our natural resources and the environment around us. Beautiful. Right. Right. Um, Right, like there are not many things we can take for granted that are that are allowing us to sustain ourselves. So we need to give back to that also. Okay, Um, great. So we can we can hold, you know, all of these many examples. I was the only other thing I was going to add to the mix was, you know, like my one and a half year old child. He he, he requires, you know, ongoing maintenance, (laughs) maintenance, let's (laughs) say, Um, frequently just, you know, input of food and love and support and all all those other kinds of relationships people mentioned. Um, I would just encourage you to hold, hold these examples kind of in the back of your mind as things to think about, like, like the near to me, that there's this thing that is, you know, from the outside might look like, oh, there's this, you know, relationship that may, may have flaws, but is still beautiful. Or there's this person or this being or this resource that, you know, is we kind of like 
presume is just there, but in reality, it requires our own our own input to sustain it. All right, so that's just kind of my the the background. I'll encourage you to keep in mind. Um, so at the beginning of the parsha, the uh, the titzaveh of this parsha actually relates to the specific commandment of saying. It's, oh, so we're if you're on the source sheet, we're on the beginning of the source sheet. If you're looking in a um, in a chumash, it's Exodus 27 verse um, 20, where we're starting. So we read, um, "You shall instruct the Israelites to bring clear oil from olives for lighting, for kindling lamps regularly." So the you know lehaalot uh, ner is to like you know raise up the light and tamid always regularly. So that's where we get the phrase ner tamid. Um, Aaron and his sons are supposed to set up these lamps in the tent of meeting outside the curtain that's over the the ark in the in the Mishkan, and um, and they're supposed. It says Aaron and his sons are to arrange it from sunset until daybreak before the presence of God. This is a law for all time, etc. That kind of thing. All right, so. Um, we know from this description already, perhaps, that it would require a lot of maintenance for Aaron and his sons to do this. But Rashi provides some additional details about perhaps just just how much work was going into this um, this situation. Is there anybody who has the source sheet who wants to read the Rashi? Uh, one of one of the back racks, or both? Go for it. <laughs> She's close to the light. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Rashi on Exodus. Uh, from evening to morning, give it its due measure of oil so that it may burn from evening to morning. Our rabbis estimated half a log of oil as sufficient for the nights of Tevet, which are long, and they ordained a similar quantity for every night of the year. And if any were left over on the shorter nights, it did not matter. Okay. So what Rashi is reminding us, I think, is is just as we were describing about these many examples in our life, making something burn always actually requires a lot of planning and work um, that is sort of behind the scenes and other people may not realize. So what he's saying is that when there's the phrase that they're supposed to set it up from um, from sun, basically sundown to sun up. So what that means is they had to leave enough oil burning. It's, it's almost sounds like, like Hanukkah, you know, E vibes. Like they had to make sure there was enough oil burning to last the whole night long um, with awareness that the, the length of nighttime varies throughout the year. So this Rashi is saying that they would put the amount of oil there for however much is needed on the longest nights of the year. That if you think like Tibet is in the middle of, of winter, it's during long nights the month of Tibet. Um, so if you have enough oil to last through a night in Tibet, then then you would have even extra oil on some summer nights. Um, but to make sure that there was enough, according to Rashi, that's how they would set up the lamps. But, but you know, regardless, you know, it's like a lot of planning, a lot of, you know, there's like math. It's not just, it's not just, a, it's, it's a spiritual thing, perhaps. I don't know exactly how the ancient Israelites experienced spirituality, but it was meant to support a spiritual space where people could connect to God. But really the behind the scenes is not, it's not so like woo woo all the time that this is some of the just, you know, nuts and bolts, the daily grind that the, the Aaron and his sons had to, had to go through to maintain it. Okay. So that's Rashi's thoughts on, you know, what like the, the daily grind of the Aaron and his sons would have looked like to maintain this, this ongoing light. 
And then we read in the next commentary, Dat Zakanin, which is a collection of commentaries from the, the Tosafists, a group of France and nearby commentaries um, from the Middle Ages. So this is a, a slight um, disagreement with Rashi about, about the, you know, some of the specifics of what went into this. So um, I'll, I'll read this one just in case I want to skim over some, some parts that are more technical. So Rabbi Yitzchak, son of Avraham, of blessed memory, um, doesn't accept what Rashi says because that would have meant that oil was wasted. So Rashi says, you know, in some of those summer months, there was extra oil and that was okay. But this other um, Rabbi Yitzchak ben Avraham says, no, there's no way they would have wasted holy oil. Instead, he suggests that the wicks used in the summer were thicker than those in the winter so that all the oil would be burned up, that they would vary the speed that the the oil would get burned by using like a thicker wick to absorb more oil. So it's kind of interesting because it's like from an environmentalist standpoint, you're not you're you're almost unnecessarily using oil. But um, but this satisfies his concern that there would have been oil just like left over and that. According to him, I imagine he's saying you're not using it unnecessarily. You're using some of the extra oil, making sure all of it goes to this holy purpose of sustaining the um, the near tummy. Um, okay, so the summer wicks were thicker than in the winter months, and all the oil would be burned up. This is also why in the Talmud, there's actually several several sections in the Talmud where they reference this idea that the material the wicks were made from was the discarded garments of the priests. So if there were little threads and pieces of, of priestly garments that fell off or they maybe went, they went to the priestly tailor to fix their robes and there were little shreds left, who knows? Um, those were what they used for the wicks in the candles. So they, I guess, had some different sizes around and that's what they would use. Okay, so I don't, yeah, Alan? I, I had always thought that the Nair Tamid was on 24-7. Yet here, in the actual text, it just says from evening to the morning. So that's not 24-7. Right. Is there, how, is there, how is there a cloak over this? Because I think generally the Nair Tamid now is Nair Tamid on all the time. So how did the rabbis twist what was written specifically in Titzavet to make it Nair Tamid for 24-7? Mm-hmm. So I haven't certainly haven't read everything about this and um, I'll, I'll share what I can say. And then Kendra Torney, if you have information, I would, I would welcome adding to this conversation. My understanding is that here Rashi is just speaking on the night to morning part and it doesn't necessarily preclude somebody also tending it to the daytime. It's just that there wasn't somebody sitting there every second of the night to make sure that they knew when the oil would run out. So it's, it's like, um, you know, during the day, people would have watched and they could have seen if the oil was starting to get lower. Um, but at nighttime, you had to kind of like stock it up for the for the night. But I don't know, Kendra Torney, do you have other? That okay, uh, Marshall and Marshall, and then and then Larry Herman. Well, I, I think we have to go back to the Exodus portion itself, where the translation here is very good. Kindling lights, uh, kindling lamps regularly. And Robert Alters points out that the word tamid means perpetually, and it means regularly repeated, in contrast to the, the, the term which had been used for years and years uh, of eternal. Eternal means 
as Alan used the term, on 24-7. So here it means this is a regular practice, a perpetual practice. And the portion in Titsavet says specifically that these are to be tended to at night. And, you know, I guess guess if we were to follow the biblical text itself right now, uh, in in the morning we should turn off our uh, Nero to me deems, right? (laughs) But we don't. Right, right. I think all like all of that is clear and exactly. Tamid doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, like in modern Hebrew where it kind of means always. So, um, great. I mean, we could we could talk about that probably for the rest of the time, but there is another piece I want to get to. Um, <laughs> so, um, those two things that we've read so far, I've grouped kind of under the the keva, the fixed the fixed actions of the, related to the mitzvah of maintaining this ner tamid ner regular ner repeated um at least every night and perhaps debate besides that um but the reality is to kind of go back to thinking about the examples in our lives i think for any of them there's the there's the the relentless behind the scenes some sometimes technical not always fun pieces that go into it there's you know the, the equivalent of the calculating the amount of oil and making sure you're using, you know, using all your resources to take the little scraps of cloth to use as wicks, that kind of thing. Um, but in order for it to be sustainable for that thing to really be tamid, whatever that looks like in our lives, um, I think at least most of the time there needs to be something that continues to, to fuel us to allow us to keep coming back to do that, to do that Keva work, to, to maintain that, that relationship, that, that, um, you know, connection to the environment, connection to your garden, all of those things. So there, there are other rabbinic commentaries and I've just included one here, but with the idea being that the, um, it wasn't all just this, this kind of Keva work that there was also, uh, I'll say a Kavanah piece, a piece of the work that maybe gave back to Aaron and his sons that can be, you know, interesting for us to learn from. So this is a piece of a, um, from Midrash Tanhuma. And I've taken just a small excerpt. So I'll, I'll kind of try and, and translate it from English to other English as best <laughs> as we, as we need. Um, but it says the menorah only needed to be put inside, inside the veil of the ark. Okay. So this is speaking about specifically the, the part of the text that says um, that Aaron and his son should set it up in the tent of meeting outside the curtain, which was, you know, like in close to the ark. Um, so it says to put it outside the veil in order to inform you that it says he, but it, it seems they're talking about God here, that God does not need a light. So like, in case you were thinking, God gave you this commandment because inside the sanctuary for God, like God needs that light, you know, like God needs the reading light to see what's going on. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But in case you were thinking that, no, 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 that's not, that's not what this commandment is about. Why, so why did God, you know, tell you about this altogether? And then it says at the end of the Hebrew, because of your merit, your worthiness of the light. So interestingly, this Midrashic read of setting up the light, you might have thought that it was it was for God. God was telling you to set this up. And actually, there's at least a component of it that's saying, no, setting up this light was to remind 
you, you know, maybe first the, 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 the first responders were, were Aaron and his sons who were setting it up, but really anybody else who came into the presence of this light, the point of it is moving it outside of the veil was to say, no, like this is also for you. And this is to remind you of your own, um, own worthiness of this light. So to me, when I read this, I read this as part of um, thinking about there are these obligations and relationships and things that we have, you know, we have ongoing commitments to maintain, but also what piece of it can we find that is, that's like fueling ourselves. So um, I'm curious, you're, so I'm going to kind of open it up for comments, questions now. You're welcome to talk specifically about the text, or if you have ideas about those things in your life you mentioned. Okay, so I saw Alan first, then Larry Herman, then Brandt. What struck me about this when we were talking about the notion of light and always being present, present, it made me think about the perhaps a, a remez, a hint of the orga news, the hidden light of, of creation, because God talks about, um, you know, they talk about creating the sun, the moon, the stars on the third day of creation, but they said, let there be light on the first day. And, um, uh, and according to Midrash, that deals with the Oregon news, the hidden light that goes around the world, so to speak. And perhaps by doing this Ner Tamid as this eternal light, it's to remind us that even when perhaps when things are darkest or bleakest, there's always this sense of additional light that will always be there. Very nice. Beautiful. Um, Larry, you also want to jump in? Yeah, I want to go back to um, the direction you gave us at the very beginning, Mm -hmm. which I really like, about maintenance. And I think both Rashi and Dot Skinim present different points of view, both of them being correct, about how one maintains. And I'm thinking about physical maintenance of, well, since I'm a transportation planner, roads, Mm -hmm. but of almost... Anything, but it also applies to all the personal things that we talked about that you have to maintain. Uh, on the one hand, you, you, you want to make sure that you give enough maintenance and you don't chintz, you, you don't skimp on the maintenance simply because you say, well, the night is short, so I don't need so much oil. The car is not being used so much, so I don't need to change the oil in the car. The road is not being used so much, so I don't have to resurface the, the pavement very much. Don't think that. Think that you have to play, provide enough maintenance for this object when it's going to be used as much as you would, as much as it ever could be used, up to its capacity. That's what Rashi is telling us. And, and then the Datskinim is telling us something else, which is not in conflict with Rashi, but actually a compliment to Rashi. But also be very careful to make sure that you take account extraordinary circumstances. You make sure that you adjust what you're doing to the needs of, well, I'm thinking infrastructure, but also relationships, etc. And you need to make sure that you're doing, you're doing both. And simply because I can't resist making a political comment, we see that exactly taking place right now in Texas and other parts of the country, where they weren't taking into account what the most extreme needs might be. And instead they were, for a variety of reasons, not doing, this wasn't only maintenance, but capacity planning for what they needed to do. So I think that you're directing us towards the issue of maintenance and it, it ties together then the Rashi's comment and the Dots uh, Kinim's comment. Uh, very, very, very 
pertinent for our times example. I hadn't even thought of that as I was creating this, but that that that's um, I'd say exceedingly relevant. And exactly like you're talking about, you want you want to have extra sometimes, but you also don't want to like deplete your resources where they where they aren't needed. So it's it's um, it's absolutely um, those are the questions to to keep asking. So thank you for that. And uh, Brant, you had a hand. Yeah, I wanted to say two things. One. I more identify with the second commentary because my own personal ethos is I hate waste. You know, mm-hmm. I'm much more of a don't like, like I keep things past their use, you know, the, their useful life. I have old, I still use the same equipment, you know, the same tools. I keep my cars for a long time. It's just my own personal ethos. I just don't like waste. So I identify with that. But what I wanted to say is that to me, this kind of relates to the Shema where they say in there in the English, uh, praise shall be yours, Lord our God, for your wondrous works, for the light you have fashioned, the sun and moon, which reflect your glory. So I would say that lights are used, you know, as a symbol in our daily prayer to, re- to remind us of God's wondrous works. And, and in a similar sense, I would argue that this eternal light that you see and that they talk about, and the reason God doesn't need to see it, and you need to see it, is to remind you of God's wondrous works. Nice, nice. Right. I mean, there's also thought that this is one of the, suge- you know, goes along with the suggestion to be a light unto the nations, that this is a reminder, a, a light for us to see, to remind ourselves to kind of continue shining it back out into the world. Joanna? Um. I was thinking about like sort of this contrast between night and day a little bit differently in that, you know, there are times when, you know, we draw the analogy to other things, to our relationships, to the environment where, um, you know, you really want to be paying close attention and on top of it and tending it well. But then there are times, um, you know, when everything is in the light, when everything is fully exposed, when everything kind of seems to be humming along well, where the right way to tend to something is actually to pull back a little bit. You know, being a helicopter parent is not a good thing. Be You know, the right way to tend to the land is actually to leave it alone every seventh year and not pay attention to it in the seventh year. So, and I think that that sometimes is a very hard line to navigate and, and perhaps for me, at least something that the text here is directing us to think about. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for, for raising that point that the, uh, yeah, I think that's great that part of the teaching of the night, however they're handling it is to say, there's a time when you can't be directly tending this thing. It is, you know, a thing you care deeply about, and yet you have to be hands off. And you're, you're right. It's like, it's can be such a hard, um, such a hard balance in mind to walk. So another, another important question to keep in mind with those examples. Uh, any, any last couple thoughts as we, as we wrap up the conversation for this evening? Um, well, thank you all for your, for your input and questions and sharing in the learning. And I, and I hope for all of us that, whatever those ongoing, eternal, lasting relationships that we are, are tending in our various ways, that we find both the, the koach to continue with the maintenance that is both the right amount and sometimes extra, and also that we get, we get our own fuel to keep, to keep feeling the light and shining our own light as we, as we do that. So- 
You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.